This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Capness. The Capness HR Podcast is brought to you by SM Diversity. SM Diversity is a full services staffing recruit agency. SM Diversity is currently looking to fill numerous principal software engineer positions in the Seattle area. The requirements for these positions are as follows. A computer science or related degree, eight plus years of overall experience, then one plus years of leadership experience, solid experience with cloud-based service development, extensive experience in building, deploying, and managing large distributed applications, experience with agile development methods, experience with DevOps, and CI, CD tools and methods. A preferred qualification is to have a strong network in the Seattle tech community. This position is going to be, actually all these positions are going to be located in the downtown Seattle area, so this is not going to be a remote work opportunity for anyone. If you're interested in learning more, send me an email at jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com. Hello, and welcome to Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Dan Canavas. Dan, are you ready to be great today? Yes. Dan is a co-founder and portfolio manager of Triple Summit Advisors, LLC. Dan brings institutional asset management, wealth management, and client service experience to the team. Prior to Triple Summit, Dan worked in business development and operations at Zipline, a venture-backed robotics startup. Previously, Dan worked as an investment associate at Prudential Capital Group where he conducted credit analysis and portfolio management for a multi-billion dollar portfolio of, of investment grade, high yield, and mezzanine debt. Dan also served as a military officer in the U.S. Army with overseas service in Iraq and Korea. Dan graduated, Dan graduated cum laude from Harvard University, the Bachelor of Arts in Economics, and holds a Master's of Business Administration from the University of California, Berkeley. Dan lives in the Seattle area with his wife, daughter, and then Lively Yorkie Casey. Dan, that's quite a background you have there. Thank you. So what, what do you focus on right now? What's taking, taking up most of your time? Yeah. So I am, as my bio said, the managing partner of Triple Summit Advisors. We are an independent registered investment advisor. Uh, what we do is financial planning and investment advice for our clients. Right now, we have about uh, 110 clients and manage about $23 million total. Uh, for our clients. And we start with goals first and try to understand what our clients' goals are first, and then put together an investment plan and financial plan that fits with those goals. So most of my time I spend doing client service. So for your clients, how do you find a client? Do you have a marketing plan, word of mouth, or do people come find you? So it's a combination of both. The number one way we find clients is absolutely referrals. And with our 100 person plus, uh, 100, I should say, household plus uh, client base, it's, that's our number one source of clients for sure. However, in addition to that, uh, we also try to meet new people in the community. You know, in, in particular, in the past, we've had uh, a lot of uh, the folks who tend to jive with us the most, uh, certainly veterans, of course. So we have a lot of veterans in our client base, and I am very active in different uh, veteran veteran activities, including uh, as a city leader in Seattle for Bunker Labs, a veteran nonprofit focused on veteran entrepreneurship. 
and then also working with other particular industry verticals where we feel that oftentimes professionals in these verticals get what we're saying and vibe with what, what um, our mission statement and our values are. So oftentimes attorneys, uh, physicians are oftentimes uh, find value in financial planning and the services we have, we have to offer. So you talked about this a little already, but, and it's a broad stroke, but who's your typical client? So if I had to pick one typical client, it would be seniors, um, someone who uh, makes a substantial amount of money and has savings and knows that they need to do something with it, but either doesn't have the time uh, or the inclination to uh, do it themselves. And so that's where we come in and help them with that. Also, this person typically values good advice and so values the relationship as well, as opposed to somebody who um, you know, is looking just for asset management. We can certainly do that, but we like to have a good, strong relationship with our clients. Is there a certain amount of disposal income that you like your clients to have? Uh, not necessarily. Our, our minimum to invest with us, um, as stated in our regular, regulatory disclosures, is $50,000. But it's not necessary for anyone to have, to have a certain amount of income. So, Dan... Most people believe that they're good on finances. You ask them, oh, my finances are in order. I'm doing a good job. But in reality, most of us don't do a good job. Why is there such a disconnect on that? Why do most people think they're doing a great job? But in reality, most of us are not. So actually, I think most people, if you really ask them, uh, you know, if they say they're doing a good job with their finances and you really ask them a few times, they'll express certain doubts or questions about whether or not they're, they're doing it right or they're, you know, they're doing well if they're, uh, doing well relative to their peers or people their age or things like that. Because the fact of the matter is no one teaches, um, our education system does not teach us about finances, the personal finance, building wealth and things like that. It teaches us certain hard skills and even soft skills, whether it's math and science, English, learning how to do expository writing, whatever it might be. But if you ask somebody, hey, you know, who taught you how to balance a checkbook? Well, first of all, nowadays, most most folks will tell you, especially if they're younger, like, what's a check? We've literally had clients uh, tell us that, like, they don't know what a check is um, on the younger end. But, you know, those sorts of skills are just not taught unless your parents taught you or somebody, especially in the military, you know, an NCO or someone pulled you aside and said, as a junior soldier, said, hey, this is how you balance a checkbook. This is how you take care of your finances so you don't run out of money in between the first and 15th of every month. I still have money. I got checks left. What do you mean I have no money left? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that, that old saw. That's right. So, and this is another like, stereotype. I think most people, when they're approached by a financial planner, the guard gets up, oh, what does this guy want from me? When you approach people, how do you get them to let the guard down so they can trust you? Because, I mean, trust has to be a big thing in what you do. Yeah, that's a great question. So, referrals, as I mentioned, is the number one thing. If Jason Cabinets refers someone to me, and I don't know this person from Adam, but this person knows Jason and trusts Jason perhaps with his life because he served with you, then all of a sudden I'm going to get that benefit of, you know, the Jason Cadmus aura and your friend, let's call him Tom. Tom is going to trust me more um, just as a result. And we can start the conversation. I have a business partner. His name is Wei Wang. I went to Harvard with him and we, we are both soft sales sort of guys. We don't go up to anybody and say, Hey, you need to work with us, right? That's just not the way we operate. Um, we'd like to educate. We like to, you know, explain. And then if people are interested in having a conversation, typically they bring it up, not us. So that's, that's how we work. Could we do a better job marketing and maybe be a bit more higher tempo in terms of our 
business development process? Absolutely. But it's just not our nature. It's not our personalities. And so we kind of stick with what we know and what we're comfortable with here. So Dan, as you know, all customers are not good customers. What's the process for you to tell a customer, you know what, no, we want to be a good fit to work with each other? Yeah, so that's a great question as well. We've luckily never had to tell a client that. Um, you know, we've been in business three years. And at this point, um, we haven't lost any clients due to anyone leaving us because they're or us leaving them for any sort of reason like that. We have unfortunately lost some due to um, clients passing away. But um, but n- nothing in that situation where it wasn't a good fit anymore. The the folks who we do meet who before we even start a formal business relationship, we try to understand if there's a good mutual fit. And sometimes there is, and I'll give you one example of when there's not a, a good mutual fit. So somebody who comes to us and says, "Hey, I want you to turn this you know a hundred thousand dollars into a million dollars in three years," right? And I'll say. Maybe there's somebody out there who would do it, but that person's not us. Not what we do. Uh, we're about responsible long-term financial planning and investments. And you know, we have uh, our own money invested alongside our clients. Um, and so that's how we align interests and make sure we have skin in the game. And we're not going to do with your money what we won't do with our own money. And so therefore, you know, you better believe that I'm not going to try to triple your money in three years uh, by swinging for the fences at the risk of causing a massive loss. Have you ever had a situation where you're advising someone, but they never follow your advice? I mean, they're paying for your services, but whenever you're advising them, they do like they just ignore it. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. So we view ourselves as uh, the equivalent of personal trainers for your finances. Everyone knows they need to go to the gym. Everyone knows they need to work out and stay stay active, right? But oftentimes um, you can't. You might be disciplined about other things. You like my show up to work every day. You might do a good job. You might be this high powered executive. But you can't get yourself to the gym because it's, it requires discipline. It requires activation energy. And you know that's what personal trainers are for, to help hold you accountable for that. So we try to do that for our clients. We can't always be successful, though. Just like not every personal trainer is able to get all their clients to be accountable and show up to the gym every single time. We try to do that, though. We, we really do aim to keep people, our clients, to stick to the plan that we set out with intention and with uh, deliberate deliberateness and so that is that's our goal because if we can stick to the plan especially when things get choppy uh, that's precisely where you know you uh, to use the phrase where you make your money so dan you recently moved to seattle from san francisco do you have clients in both places now and are you, are you a nationwide company so we are nationwide we uh have clients throughout the uh, throughout the country um uh, you know, we have clients in uh, as far afield as in Mobile, Alabama and Bozeman, Montana. But I would say that because we are new to the, you know, to the Washington area, you know, our primary base of clients at this point in time uh, tends to be in California and New York. My, my partner's on the East Coast. So are there different rules or regulations you have to follow based on the state? Absolutely. So depending on who your regulator is um, as an investment company, you have to follow those rules. And so there is, without getting too deep into the weeds here, because uh, your listeners probably don't need to hear all the technicalities of it, but there are um, different regulators for each state. And then, of course, at the national level, there's SEC. So you have to follow the rules according to the body that you're governed by. So how does one become an investor like the source? I'm sure you just can't say, hey, I'm, I'm Jason Cabins, I'm an investor today. Like, what's, how does that work? A lot of study, study, study. So 
Um, Warren Buffett said um, about his particular style of investing, value investing, he said that it's like an inoculation. You either have it or you don't, right? So some people approach or meet his style of investing, which my partner and I are, are big, um, a big admirers and followers of his and his style of investing. When some people meet this style of investing, value investing, where you're trying to buy a dollar fifty cents, or you're trying to buy a dollar for sixty-seven cents, whatever it might be, right? Um, where you're trying to buy things at a discount as opposed to just going for growth, growth, growth all the time, not caring what price you pay. Some people meet this style of investing and they just don't get it and they never will, right? Other people meet it and like an inoculation, they become uh, adherence to it immediately. And so that is for us, um, you know, what, what, uh, what happened to us over time? I started reading reading about this, and as soon as I realized, wow, this really you know this really strikes me. I'm I really really identify with this approach, not just towards investing, but towards business and towards life. Yeah, There's no looking back, and so that's that's how it happened for me. But it did take years of study. I, I got my MBA as well. I had uh, experience in institutional asset management, management, and then. My partner's case, he's been either an investment banker or hedge fund uh, analyst at, for the vast majority of his career until starting this with me. So the class you have, how you determine if, if you're being successful with the client is like in certain percentage of you increase their, their, uh, their fund asset or is that how do you determine success? On the investment side, there are certain benchmarks that we are aiming to you know, perform against. So right now, we're advising a client on a potential move, a downsizing from a larger home that they have with, with their children, but they're about to be empty nesters, and where they might go, what they can afford based on their budget and things like that. And so making sure a client ends up happy and also secure in that sort of, um, in that sort of decision-making process is really where we enjoy the job the most, A, and feel like we end up ultimately adding the most value. There are a lot of different choices you can have out there in terms of where you invest your money, who you invest your money with, what strategies you take, or who your planner might be. But ultimately, someone's chosen to invest trust and time uh, with us and willing to explain to us some of their um, most cherished goals and their their kind of like their most uh, desired goals in life. Uh, We treat that commitment and that investment in us is sacred and we want to do the best job possible for them. And typically it's about reaching those goals and maintaining that relationship as opposed to any one number on the page. Dan, so like you said, there's a lot of people doing what you do. So somebody's out there, they know like, you know what, I need to find a financial advisor. What process do they use to find the perfect person for them? You know, that's a great question. And most people don't wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, I need to find a financial advisor. I need someone to help me with my investments. It's typically a third or fourth or fifth priority. And, you know, after getting your kids to school (laughs) and after trying to navigate traffic to show up to the office on time. And so as a result, it keeps on getting pushed off, pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. But typically, if you are going to think about getting, uh, finding a financial advisor or finding somebody you trust to do financial planning and investments with you, then what you'll want to do is Talk to a whole bunch of them, get referrals, right? Find people who you trust and who you know are knowledgeable about it and have demonstrated success in the, the field of money management. They may have done it themselves uh, or they may have someone helping them. Find out what works and then try to replicate that. 
And so in our case, we know we can't serve everybody. We don't, we don't want to serve everybody. We want to serve people who value us and value the services we can provide. As a result, um, you know, we, we, we won't be able to get to everybody. But there are enough folks like us out there who are a particular fit for what it is you're looking for. You know, I'll just give an example. Somebody who you know, might be a, a particularly good advisor specifically for uh, entrepreneurs who are selling their small business. There, there are advisors out there who specialize just in that. You know, go and find that person if you fit that mold. Man, <clears throat> you know, they say it's never too early to get started. But it's never too late. For example, someone is over 50, paying a mortgage, high credit card debt, two kids in school they're paying for, no savings, no assets. Is it too late for this person to get started? Definitely not. Definitely not too late. So the first thing, you know, I'm, you're already kind of giving me this case study here and I'm already, my brain's already, the hamster up there is already going. The first thing I'm going to ask is, all right, let's look at cash flow. Let's look at your income statement and let's look at what your income and what your expenses are. And let's figure out um, why you have no savings, why you have no assets at this point in time, why you have a bunch of debt, right? And, you know, just like a personal trainer, I might say, hey, if you want to lose 40 pounds or whatever it might be, right? Or if you want to gain this much muscle mass, if you want to be able to run a seven-minute mile, then this is what you need to do. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take... Um, hard work and a changing of your mindset, most importantly. Uh, I can help get you there, most likely. You know, in this, in this particular case, uh, I'm thinking of people in my mind who fit this sort of profile, and I can probably get those folks there or help get them there, but it's going to take reciprocation from you, right? From the client to actually keep up with these things. And if we do it, you're going to feel really great about the goals you've achieved and how much you've set yourself up for the future. Um, but I can't do it alone for you. It just doesn't work that way. Dan, can you talk a little bit about Bunker Labs? Yeah, absolutely. So Bunker Labs is a national uh, nonprofit that was founded by you know veterans and um, and there's four veterans. It specifically helps vets try to figure out whether or not they want to be entrepreneurs. A lot of veterans um, transition, uh, or perhaps want to start a business later after they well after they've transitioned. I'm one of those folks and don't know if entrepreneurship is right for them. So Bunker Labs provides a lot of different programs to help veteran entrepreneurs at every stage of the life cycle, whether they're just thinking about getting into entrepreneurship or, or whether they're already seasoned entrepreneurs. And so what we found, the main thesis of Bunker Labs, is that veterans have the skill and the ambition uh, and the motivation to uh, be successful as entrepreneurs, but oftentimes what they don't have is the network and the resources. Oftentimes, they come out of the military and all they've known is the military since high school or since college. That's the only job they've had. And so it's really, really helpful to give them a head start and even just the level of the playing field to give them access to resources and connections and know-how that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get just trying to find that on their own. Um, and Bunker Lab is one of many sources that, that does that, but I'm really proud to be part of the leadership team uh, at the local level here at Bunker Labs because it does so many great things for vets. Um, and actually, you know, as far as all of them have been free. Dan, can you talk about a time you were successful in the past, what you learned from this, the success and what we can learn from this? When I have had success in the past. So I, I <laughs> one of these things where, uh, 
I wish that I could talk about a different story other than this, but I, I, this is probably the most instructive thing. When I was in the, when I was in the army as a new lieutenant, uh, I was still living on the college campus at the time as a gold bar recruiter for my RGC unit. I got my first paycheck, my first paycheck, right? And at the end of, you know, the, the two week period when my next paycheck came in, I noticed I still had money left in the bank. And so I thought to myself, Oh, what should I do with this? Now, oftentimes the answer in the military is, hey, just spend the money because you're getting paid tomorrow and it's fine, right? Jason, you're smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But that's the wrong answer. It turns out if you save that money because you don't need it, right? You didn't spend it so clearly you don't need it. You put it to your name. Guess what? Over time, it grows pound and actually it makes money for you, right? It becomes your servant as opposed to you working for it. And so that was a small little victory for me, but that set me on the path that I'm on in life now. So at age 22, uh, actually, I was still 21. At age 21, you know, that first bit of savings and investing set me on the path that I'm on right now. And I'm 35 now. And I feel like my life is a lot more comfortable, you know, knock on wood, than it otherwise would be um, had I never done that. And so that was one one success I've had. Dan, next, talk about a time you failed in the past, what you learned from this failure and what we can learn. There are innumerable failures I can point to in the military uh, that I could, whether it was you know, recycling at ranger school or something like that, being told that uh, I wasn't worth very much because I wasn't keeping up on XYZ sort of thing. Uh, but I, I won't talk about that. I'll talk about um, something else that is near and dear to what I do, especially at Muster Labs nowadays. So when I got out of the military, uh, I started um, looking for a job. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I went to a good college and uh, I just came back from Iraq. I'm a combat vet. I should be, you know, pretty good to go in terms of finding a job, right? Well, that was the wrong answer. I fell flat on my face. I didn't realize that to find a job, it wasn't about having a piece of paper that said what your qualifications were. It's all about who you know. And so I'll say that again. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. I found that out over and over and over and over again. And I, I got better at it each time, but I found out over and over and over again until to the point where today, I certainly care about what it is I know. And I, I, I study and I read and I study and I read and I talk to other intelligent people about the markets, about individual investments, about changes in tax laws and financial planning, um, the theories of financial planning, things like that. But ultimately, I spend a lot of time networking and trying to help other people network as well. Because the opportunities that I found in life for everybody out there uh, come so much easier and sometimes come only if you do network. Um, and networking is not something where it's like, hey, you know, I shake your hand, you shake mine, we know each other, at each other on LinkedIn, and boom, I got a network. That's not what it is. It's about helping people and knowing that in the process of helping people, you're building up valuable goodwill and credibility with folks out there where they know that, hey, Anyone has a financial problem or questions on their finances or questions about finding a job or whatever it might be, send them to Dan and Dan's probably going to do something. Even if he does, Dan doesn't know the answer directly, you know, I'll send them to someone who does. And so that's my goal. And I found that over and over again, that's paid a lot of dividends in my life and, and the lives of people I've talked to about it. So that's one way I've learned from failure. Dan, honestly, you have a book to recommend for our listeners. Yes. So. Uh, this is my favorite book on the philosophy of personal finance, not necessarily the tactics, but the philosophy of it. So it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. If you can see up there, it says 
you know, millions of copies in print, more than 2 million books sold. Um, it's, it's a book that's been around now for, I believe, almost 100 years. Uh, it just talks about the philosophy of personal finance, and it's told in parables, much like much of uh, the Bible and other religious texts are told in, so that the, the stories are more memorable. But it's all about the simple rules of personal finance. You know, spend less than you make, invest the different, be wise about your investments. If you're not wise about it, consult people who are wise about it, uh, including this book. So highly recommend The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. And can you provide us your social media links so people can reach out to you? Yeah, so we are on um, we are on uh, our website. First of all, is, is uh, www.triplesummit.com. I'm at dan at triplesummit.com, and you can also reach the whole entire team at team at triplesummit.com. And for our listeners, we'll have the links to his book recommendation and, and his social media links on the show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshlblog.com. Dan, we'll come to the end of our talk. Can you invite our listeners any last minute wisdom or advice on anything you'd like to talk about? Yeah. So uh, why don't we go back to one thing you were saying, Jason, which is that, you know, someone who's, you know, now 50 and doesn't have any savings and has a lot of credit card debt and people and children in school, lots of expenses. Is it too late for them? I don't think it's too late. But if you have the choice, if you're listening out there and you have the choice and you're not in that position, you know, start earlier. It's by starting earlier, as I mentioned myself, it's led to a lot of options and choices and difference in my life that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, it just would not have occurred any other way had I start had I not started earlier. So start as early as you can. And if you can, and don't know where to start, talk to someone who's knowledgeable about it. Read books. You can start with the richest man in Babylon, and then you know from there you'll find out that. It's actually not that difficult to do, take care of your financial life in terms of the actual learning part of it. And then it's more about emotional control and the psychology of it all that allows you to you know, keep on moving forward and you know, avoid the pitfalls that oftentimes ensnare so many Americans. Dan, thank you for that. And Dan, thank you for your time today. I know you're a busy person doing a lot of great things, so I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jason. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.